welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I am Rachel Jones. And I'm Frankie Breslev. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Thank you for joining us for a new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to wfhb.org, so if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes online via the WFHB website. Each and every week we produce a show by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and allied community. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and last latest events reflecting TGBTLQ plus life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world. Our featured stories focus around topics both at home and abroad. Tonight we will be having a discussion about the constantly evolving literature and psychiatric understanding regarding the TLGBTQ community. Additionally, we will discuss how mental illness impacts both the TLGBTQ and local communities as a whole and things you might be able to do Shake out the doldrums. Tonight we'll be featuring the music from Bloomington, the Bloomington band Sleeping Bag and with a selection from their 2017 release, Wet. This evening we are joined in the studio by Tim Donovan, a local therapist helping individuals with various issues ranging from depression, anxiety, to gender identity counseling. Tonight we open up with a discussion regarding uh, the developments behind the rulings of the APA. It was back in 2013 that the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, first published the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Disorders. Uh, That year marked a significant shift in the discussion and language used with regards to transgender individuals. For the first time, the former term gender identity disorder was replaced with the term gender dysphoria. As stated by researcher Norman Spack, he said that uh, the new diagnosis recognized that a mismatch between one's birth gender and identity was not necessarily pathological. He went on to note that it shifted the emphasis and treatment from fixing a disorder to resolving distress over a mismatch. Last year, the Danish parliament went a step further and officially removed transgendered individuals from the list that states of mentally ill. The action was done in part to spur the World Health Organization to reevaluate the definition of transgender as a mental illness in the International Statistics Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, ICD. We are lucky to be joined in the studio today by a local mental health counselor, Tim Donovan, who can help us make sense of the terminology. First, thank you, Tim, for joining us in the studio. We, I appreciate it, and I hope I can answer as many questions as possible. Okay. Well, so... Let's sort of start out with this. Um, as somebody who's worked in the mental health field over the past you know, several decades. Um, Great, thanks. You're <laughs> <laughs> so old. Uh, sort of what have you noticed about the evolution about uh, sort of the discussion regarding LGBTQ life and all this sort of for me, a lot of it has been involved in the focus of the treatment. Um, luckily, I've done most of my work, if not all my work here in Bloomington, and it's been an open community in many ways. Um, so the focus always generally has been on helping the individuals. But I would say that the greater definitions that people are using, I have kids coming in, and it's 
very common for them. I'll just say, how would you like, how do you identify yourself? How do you like to be referred to kind of a thing? That, when I first started, was not necessarily a, a topic that or a question would be asked. So I think uh, understanding that there is a wide variety and it is an ever-growing continuum is, I, I think, a really good aspect of what I'm seeing changing these days. And with regards to that, um, I have, frankly, no idea how often the DSM and these different uh, sort of diagnostic guidelines but how often they're published, revised, um, sort of how frequent is this sort of reevaluation of things? It really does not happen that uh, that common. Um, I remember when I went to school eons ago, apparently, um, <laughs> it, there was the DSM-4, and there was always like, oh, the DSM-5 is coming out. And it was always like coming out. It's, and it would get postponed and get postponed because everything had its own – advocates and things like that so they would it's always hard to get uh consensus and at some point they just have to be like okay this is where we're at this is where we're going out and then the next one can be address some other concerns um so it really does not happen um that often and i would say that in some cases and i i think in, as far as gender and sexual orientation and things like that um I would say that the communities and the therapists are probably a bit ahead of it at some point. And then when the evaluation is coming out, like we are seeing that some countries are like, no, we're going to make this an issue kind of a thing. And it's like the policy sometimes are like following. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So well, when we kind of look at this um, – the whole sort of spectrum of understanding LGBTQ life and especially issues of gender identity is frankly very new. Um, mm-hmm. I In a little bit of research that I found, uh, the German physician Magnus Hirschfeld was the first person ever to really recognize it, and that's what gave birth to the original term, uh, excuse me, Trigger warning, if possible, uh, transvestite, uh, mm-hmm. which can is now sometimes considered a slur. Um, so, how how have uh, sort of the uh, professional community responded to uh, sort of changes in language in society uh, as opposed to sort of um, the this research and so on, sort of impacting. Uh, the other way around, vice versa. (laughs) I I think for me, um, a lot of my practice and some of this is the training I got here at IU and just uh, where I did my internship and the community in general, there was always this sense of trying to have the individual identify themselves. What are they, what are they comfortable with and what are they uncomfortable with as far as how they are identified? Um, so I know for me, it's really about how do they want to see themselves? How do they want to like be spoken to? How do they want to be referred to? So I, I think that is something that is growing and I think it needs to because it needs to empower these people to be like, this is who I am and it's not a disorder. It's just who they are. And the other thing I find is helping them cope with not so much why why this or why not that this is who they are but understanding okay this is some of the societal like issues you're going to run into not because this is something wrong with you but because our society isn't necessarily caught up to where it needs to be on all cases and and so when you say that uh in a sense society needs to catch up um mm-hmm. do you mean sort of um, sort of society because we have, in a sense, like rigid sort of gender expectations, or is it that, you know, kind of we don't, we only understand what's going in our own mind and can't necessarily empathize yes. as much? <laughs> Actually, yes, a little bit on all of that one, in that um, I, I think that claiming who they are and identifying being comfortable and not only like having that, but being able to be like, yes, this is who I am. And you're not going to take this away from me. You're not going to judge me and you're not going to like hold me down because of something that empowering, I think is growing. And basically I, I see a lot of professionals in the area that are very much aware of that and they're encouraging of that. And they, that's the model that they work within. 
But what I do find is like diagnostic criteria or like the codes we use for billing or um, honestly, like state houses and the federal government tend to be slower on that one. But that's always the case, especially with social issues. I think the other piece on this one, there is less isolation, I think, especially with youth with uh, social networking. They don't feel as isolated and they can find the supports even if they're not immediately available to them. They can get on like online and different formats and talk to other people who are going through the same thing so that that it's harder than to feel like, no, there's just something wrong with me and everyone else is right. And so I, I think that's also impacting this. So have you seen, a, I'm, I'm sure, a big switch in, from clients that you've saw 10 years ago, maybe it's even been five years ago, mm-hmm. to the type of clients that you see today as far as maybe the information they know when they come in, yes. that they're more secure within with who they are, and they might need you to kind of just talk the rest out? Yeah. Are you finding that? I, I think I, I'm seeing more of they're more comfortable and secure in who they are, but they're still this how do I how do I deal with other people, whether it's family members, whether it's their community, school systems, um, friends. And unfortunately, some of the more difficult work is they are going to lose some of these people most right. likely. And coming to terms with that. And like for me, like whether it, it's like – and I always mess this up, so I always have to be careful. The people who care don't matter, and the people who matter don't care. Right. Kind of a thing. And that that they're like, okay, if this is who you are, let's be happy with that. And um, But there's also within families, there's sometimes I, I go, there's families and then there's relatives. And relatives are blood. Family are sometimes the people who are going to be there when we need them. Right. Hopefully they overlap, but they don't always. Right. And making sure they understand that and that they're, even with that, there is support for them. I find it interesting. I, I don't know where we fall in the spectrum of how our society accepts people that are transgender. Um, but I feel our government maybe is trying to pull us backwards a little bit. And Denmark, on the same token, is trying to move the issue forward a little bit. Any, I, I would agree. I, I think um, – <clears throat> The biggest thing I, I see probably on a more national scale, just on social issues in general, the time frame for changes seem globally and nationally for us seem to be decreasing. Um, I, I always think in terms of when uh, President Obama came into office, gay marriage really wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't like an issue in the campaigns and anything like that. And by the time he's leaving office, it's the law of the land. I, I mean, when this is a significant kind of social change that used to take decades and now it is being compressed. And I do think, um, I, millennials get a lot of bashing, but I actually enjoy millennials because they, they, they are more comfortable with change. I think <laughs> well, and I think they're just more comfortable with change and change coming quickly. Right. They're like, Oh, I got a new phone because right. there's a new phone or That's I got this. And, and so change is just what they've grown up with. And I think, Older generations, they just have a harder time with that. And they, I think they get a sense of, like, there's a loss. It's like, this isn't what I remember things to be. And we can see how that can sometimes play out. I think religion plays such a big part in people, especially in the older generation, on, on how they see things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's less of an issue with some of the younger generation. Do you run into that quite a bit here? Um, I, I think there is some, but it, I see that more – like there are times I'll get uh, phone calls from uh, parents and they're looking for clients and they're they'll ask like conversion what, therapy. Well, they'll ask me it's like, am I a Christian counselor? And right. I'm like, well, no, I'm a counselor and I, this is how I do it. But if you want me to be referencing like biblical, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and sometimes that they're okay with that. Sometimes they're not. Right. And it's just like, but you can only be as upfront as possible. Is there another camp that you know <laughs> of that is more a Christian-based counseling service that would follow a more um, conversion therapy type of uh, treatment? Not that I know of really around here. Most of the other counselors that I speak with um, they had very large issues with the whole idea of reparative counseling and anything along Wonderful. those lines. It, I mean, even the phrase of it is like, it's like, they're not broken. <laughs> it's like, what are you, what are you even saying by even using that term? And what it really is for me is having them being comfortable with who they are 
and that it's fine. This is who they are. It is fine. And then helping them deal with the situation and some of the issues they might run into as they kind of move through this. We're going to um, put this conversation on hold for a few moments to enjoy some music from our featured artist this week, Sleeping Bag. Sleeping Bag was founded in 2010 by bassist David Woodruff, singer-slash-drummer Dave Sagadi, and guitarist Lewis Rogers of Busman's Holiday fame. Sleeping Bag is known for their 90s rock, indie rock sound, but for me, it's just some good music to listen to and get some writing done. Tonight, we'll be opening with Doing It Alone by Sleeping Bag from their 2017 album, Wet. You were just listening to Doing It Alone by Sleeping Bag. Let's get back to our discussion as we put our guest, Tim, on the spot. <laughs> just kidding. Not really. <laughs> well, welcome back, Tim. Um, so we were d- discussing a little bit before, during break about, you know, uh, conversations that you might have with schools or mm-hmm. maybe even um, employers mm-hmm. that would call in and, you know, ask for, you know, uh, kind of your ideas and you know how to deal with certain situations have have you had this uh this occurrence what i normally will have because i mostly work with kids uh young adults and teens um so not tons of employers um i'll have uh schools who will refer clients to me um and after i've seen the kid for a little bit i kind of realize that i know this is an issue and they felt comfortable sending them to me um part of that is uh the, the confidentiality. Um, there are, I, unfortunately, I would have to say there are some counselors when they work with kids that they don't apply the same, I would say, vigor in confidentiality. That, what do you mean? Explain it. Um, sometimes they will, like, for me, when I meet with clients and I meet with their parents, one of the very first things I will talk to them about is what they say to me is going to be kept private. It's secret. Unless they are of imminent risk to themselves or imminent risk to somebody else. Um kind of an off topic. If I have a kid who's like, oh, a couple of weeks ago I was out and I smoked some pot. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go run and tell the parents this for the simple fact of I'm like, well, okay, what was going on? What was happening? I really want to work through that. There are, I do know, because I've worked with clients who've seen counselors who instantly at the end of the session are like, oh, by the way, I need to let you know your child has been smoking pot. Mm-hmm. And for me, I that the hard part on that one is that kid's never going to come back in and talk about anything. It's like, have you been smoking pot? Nope. Right, And so taking that and then applying to sexual identity issues or gender, gender issues, they are sometimes just not ready to have the conversation 
out with the family and things like that. So there is a matter of building up that trust in that they can have the conversation. And I, I, I always, there's been several times when all of a sudden they'll kind of stop and laugh. I'm like, why? What's up? And they're like, this is so weird that I'm just talking to you about this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, it's okay. And I mean, it can be something where it's like, they had their first kiss and it was like, well, is it good? And they're like, yeah. And then they're like, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Right, right. Um, so again, that's all part of the normalizing it. They can have that conversation and then we can really work on how do they want to like kind of extend out who they're going to let in on this at this point. And I even hate the fact that we have to do that. It's just like, why do we have to, ha- like, why do they have to come out? <laughs> it's like, right. It's like, if we're going to do this, everyone should do this or no one should do this, in right. my opinion. And it's just because it's just who they are. Mm-hmm. Did you experience any difficulty with the kids when the bathroom issue was coming into play? Was there heightened anxiety? And Oh, yes. Very much so. And, like, um, honestly, it was more about how people were going to feel um, – not even so much some like some kids they were concerned about some of the other kids, but they were also like, how are parents going to react or how are some of the adults going to react? And some of it too, I had to really work with them as like going, it is a process. It's not going to instantly change, but you can work on things. And again, our school systems generally are trying to be pretty open and pretty supportive from what I can gather. Um, there are some students I've worked from outlying communities and it's not quite as accepting and open and there's much more conflict there. And so then it's really, there's sometimes it's a conversation. It's like, is this the the argument you're going to want to have? Is this a line in the sand and are they ready for that? And that's unfortunate. I was curious too, um, last year with the kids with the Confederate flag at school, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how far what they were doing was their own initiative, but how did that Im- did that impact anyone that you deal with? Um, it, it it did. Uh, I have to be honest. Most of them were like, I don't know if they even know what they're talking about because right. it's interesting. I, there were some kids who were coming in. And it's just like, well, it's not even what they're saying. It, it's like it, it was a battle flag. It wasn't this, and and it was interesting. Some of the conversations I had, or even people are like, "Well, why why are they using this?" And the talk of like the statues coming down, and and really trying to have like an education as far as what's going on. And one of the conversations I had is where if you want to acknowledge the Confederacy, okay, but. It was usurped by white supremacists a long time ago mm-hmm. and hate groups a long time ago. If you were wanting to preserve the history, I think you should have gone after at that point because now it is associated with those groups. And so when people are like, well, it's a hate group, it's this, it's white supremacists, it's, they want to attack LGBTQ communities, right. anything like that. And they're like, no, it's preserving history. It's like the, the connections already been switched. It's already been taken over by uh, other groups. It's not just a historical figure or, like, symbol anymore. Mm-hmm. To a certain degree, they uh, needed to clean house a little bit because mm-hmm. there, w- there was a little bit of something, you know, between all of that. Um, my question is, how do you think, uh, going back on the subject of uh, DSM and some of these technical things, uh, it was only in, uh, I think it was the DSM-3, uh, published in 1973, that they uh, uh, reclassified homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, considering that it was about 40 years between that and the reclassification of gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria, do you think that um, sort of there is a greater acceptance of the, or I guess, um, breaking away from the idea of heteronormativity uh, as sort of the rote standard for someone's behavior. I, I, I do. I think that there is a greater uh, understanding of diversity and that there isn't like specific categories. It's not like straight, bi, gay. There's a continuum. And I think we're understanding that more and more. And I, I do. I think um, – because I even remember when I was in school uh, that it was just like just even thinking that they had classified homosexuality as like a mental illness. And it it just seemed like why would they ever even do that? And I think we're kind of getting to that exact same point now. And that's and we're starting to see the reflection in the policies, in the the, the different manuals and how they're going to be taught. And and again, I, I would have I would guess that even probably at that point, clinicians were already like this is not 
what they're saying it is and it's going to be changing because it doesn't change and there's like the debates that go back and forth and sometimes it, and it usually is unfortunately that um policy is usually behind the changes that have, uh, are occurring mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i hope that answered that, <laughs> <laughs> that good job. It, it was it was much better than what i could answer <laughs> your question was good <laughs> um so sort of as these things progress and as understanding sort of evolve, we we start seeing these things as sort of a continuum or a gradient instead of some sort of simple binary choice of straight and queer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think sort of the scientific community pushes other like – whether it is uh, industries or institutions like schools or, you know, as you said, policy is generally probably the furthest behind to mm-hmm. react. Um, do, do you think that there's sort of a, in a sense, a logical progression of which sort of institutions and industries get affected first? Um I honestly, I'm really not sure because I think there's going to be so many factors that go into this, whether it's the socioeconomics, the education levels of communities, um, even just like experiencing diversity in communities. There are still some communities that are very, very like – I don't even know what the phrase is. I have the word and I can't think of it. But everyone is very similar. Everyone is kind of like on the same page. And I think those are going to just be harder communities to to change. And um, and I I also think that um, I really do. I think there is a, a difference as far as uh, age. And um, it is I I and I hate to even say it. As I'm getting older, sometimes you're like oh I can't believe. It. And I'm like ugh. It's like we had a conversation about Facebook, and I'm like I hate Facebook. And then I'm like I just can't believe I do that, but I do. <laughs> um, I have reasons, but I, I <laughs> then again, I sound like the old man. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the younger generation is just much more open and much more flexible in the way they view a lot of things in And that's sexuality. kind of what's happening right now is it's really the crashing. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing this, you know, within what's going on in D.C. and everywhere else. It just, if you kind of visualize that mm-hmm. as two steamboats going head on. And, and I think they, it, hopefully in the aftermath of the smoke and the carnage will figure that out that mm-hmm. you know the you know we'll, we'll come out on top on that one but you know it's just as you know I guess and, and as you reflect on you know clients from 10 years ago and, and dealing mm-hmm. and you know and then having the Obama administration and things kind of lightening up and people feeling good about who they are to almost overnight this crash mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's carnage and smoke and you can't see through it and you don't know where it's going and it's yeah. so scary for us adults but to be you know younger people going through this you know we've been through some stuff yeah. and we've seen you know sometimes you come out and it's it's okay or yeah the the tweet on the military and transgender yes i had i had clients coming in and they were very much affected by this and because some of them were like well i was thinking maybe the military now i don't know if i can and they're like what does this mean and there was there was and some of the fear was absolutely justifiable and some of it it was like it kind of got ahead of itself a little bit it's like it's everyone going to like just turn on this and it's like no take a break yeah it's like let's see what this is and let's and there are a lot of people who are going to be pushing back on things like this too so that you're not at it alone and i think Mm -hmm. that's what the youth need to to hear consist as as scared as we are or nervous Mm -hmm. i should say i don't know if i'm scared but you know um change is never fun um to encourage youth that it's going to be okay yes. and we you do have you know a, a lot of people out there that respect you more than they don't it will be okay with work with mm-hmm. lots of work yeah, yeah absolutely i mean i right. don't think this is a hands down thing we're just going to get better it's going to take not. concerted effort and there and you have to be cautious i have conversations and again i hate having these conversations there are certain places in this country they are not safe to go right and that's unfortunate but it is also a reality and they have to like cautiously optimistic on things and get the lay of the land there are lots of places where they are going to be very welcome they're going to be very safe and secure and those places are not with my family you know as my husband and my eight kids traveling across the country we had to be aware of what before marriage what um and even with marriage but not so much 
as, as it was of what states will recognize us. If we're in a car accident and one spouse is killed or injured mm-hmm. um, and the other one, you know, is trying to take custody, the state could come in and say, we don't recognize you and we can take your kids and throw them into foster care. So, you know, and that wasn't too long ago. Mm-hmm. And, and those are things as we traveled across the country that we as our family had to think about. So it's still things out there, but we, yes. sub- we made it. Mm-hmm. We made it. You know, my kids are, 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 are make, and, and there's always going to be a hill. Yes. And, and the th- the point is, is not to give up. And it's having people like you to be able to. And there are more people on that hill than sometimes they realize. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Excuse us for a moment as we put our discussion on hold for our weekly events. But first, we're going to do one more track from Sleeping Bag. This one is The Storm off of the album Wet. This week in Bloomington, we have a live album recording with Matt Alano Martin. Come to the Comedy Attic this weekend to see Bob and Tom Regular, Limestone Comedy Festival founder, Matt Alano Martin, for a night of laughs. The show is held at 8 p.m. on Thursday the 1st, Friday the 2nd, and Saturday the 3rd. There will be a second show at 10.30 p.m. on Friday and Saturday. For more details, go to comedyattic.com backslash events. Come to the back door starting at midnight on Saturday for a dance party with local DJ and WFHB's own Madison True, a.k.a. DJ Mad Dog. Check out bckdoor.com backslash calendar for more details. The 5th Annual Pride Day at Simon Sakote Assembly Hall. Join the Lady Hoosiers Thursday, February 8th, beginning at 530 with a light supper before they take on the Illinois University Fighting Illinois. Tickets are $20 and prior registration is required. Check the myiu.org events section for more details. Now back to Blooming Out. Welcome back to Blooming Out. We are joining us today with local therapist Tim Donovan. Tim, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. So we were talking about uh, you wanted to bring up a topic of... Yeah, I, I, earlier we had touched on um, as far as Christian counseling and that spectrum of uh counseling um one thing i will say is uh back i don't even know when it what, what year it happened but it was fairly recently and i think it was even just prior to the united states uh, legalizing gay marriage it was a referendum in ireland and basically it 
Ireland, pretty Catholic country, <laughs> um, if you want to say. And basically when it went, the, the church was very much push, pushing for traditional marriage, not to change anything. And the referendum passed and gay marriage, like not by Supreme Court or by court cases, by, but by popular vote, uh, legalized marriage, gay marriage in Ireland, which, um, for me, I saw that at I, my family's if I trace my ancestors back as Irish, so I always kind of keep track of it. I saw that. I was like, oh, that's kind of an amazing thing that it went that way. It didn't have to go through the courts. It was voted on by the people in a very traditional uh, Catholic country. So I do think there is room for all of this and not necessarily making it an us-them argument, but it's just like I think if we really look at the messages that are taught in churches, it should apply to all communities. Right. I, I think one of the most encouraging things, um, kids coming out, transgender children at such a young age and being able to experience their, their adulthood not being affected by the incorrect childhood. I mean, how exciting for. Yeah, but who are their parents? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you oh, know, that's not going to be for every kid coming out that that's, you know, going to run into but it. Absolutely to, not. But it's come so far. It used to and not ever be at the case. I oh, would yeah. Say. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I even look at, like, problems here in community. I, I It's not even something that's even discussed, but I would be astounded if any given year there isn't gay couples going to the prom. And it's not even something that is even noticed. No. And I think that's what we should be moving everything to. It's like, why are we even noticing these things? Because it, it, you know, if the people can find who they are and they can find somebody in this world that they love and they can be happy, more power to them. Right. Absolutely. About picking your battlegrounds, and yes. I think our community does a really good job with that. It's yes. like you know what's important, what's not, and you know, and, and letting people actually be individuals. And you know, I think if America could come here and look at you know our little crazy wacky Bloomington <laughs> at this blueberry, and, <laughs> that's right, and see we're not that wacky. Yeah, that you know, and and we have our issues. It's not like you know that we we don't. We have a couple of little church schools that uh, you know aren't that welcoming to us. But in general, it's a really great community for that, and mm-hmm. it is. It's exciting every time, every year that you know my kids are in high school, and you know the prom comes, and just being able to you know hearing about different. Dates and mm-hmm. things like that. It's like that's pretty cool. I mean, never having the opportunity to, to have something like that. You know, we've talked about having more controversy on the show. Let me be devil's advocate. Okay, here she comes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But I, I think the idea of a church school is a totally beautiful thing, and and they have every right to that and, and to their belief. It's just the public funds that 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 are the only difficulty I have. Um, I went to a Mennonite high school for two years, and they were absolutely beautiful people. And I, I think the big thing is you don't always have to agree, but you can, like, disagree in a way that is constructive as opposed to just yelling and, like, screaming each other down. In, in realizing that you can disagree and still acknowledge somebody else's difference and that that is not affecting their religious freedom yeah, absolutely oh, sorry go no, right ahead no i i mean and because this is a, a concern to kids and mm-hmm. they've been raised in churches and unfortunately it is sometimes a community that they will lose but there are times when it's a community that will be around them and will support them and it can make such a difference i mean it can literally be a life and death difference in cases and it's Religion is very powerful, and it always has been, and I think for the foreseeable future, it will be. And how that's going to be used, especially with kids, is something I think adults need to be very aware of and be very, like, conscious of when they're having conversations. Um, Just sort of the discussion of uh, sort of religion and belief, and earlier we touched on social media, um, I can't help but think sort of – how do you think uh, people's critical thinking skills and sort of the ability to kind of parse through sometimes people who are, um, you know, may disagree but want to have a genuine conversation versus somebody who uh, is really just sort of, I want to speak because I want to speak. Uh, I have these ideologies and I'm I'm going to shout them all day and night. 
do you think that there's some like interplay sort of or like a skill that is sort of needing to develop uh, now yes. more than ever, I guess? <laughs> yes. yes. Um, I, I, I just think um, and I, I don't want to always come over like overly critical. Um, construct, like our students are learning more and more every day and they are exposed to more and more every day. But sometimes kids, I, I find that they're not learning how to just think through things and that they're, they're just absorbing all this information in small bits and they're f- taking it and they're like, okay, that makes sense. I agree with it without necessarily always thinking about it. And there's just not a lot of times where people are just sitting and having conversations. Um, whether it's within the schools or within churches or even sitting around a, a dinner right. table, it, it, these conversations just are not happening where you can literally have a conversation, have ideas. You can listen to them, process them out, agree with them or not, and it'd still be okay. And I think even in, in the politics, we've gone from policy to ideology, and that's why we see less and less compromise, I think, especially at the national level. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with one of my sons. We were on Thursday. No, it was Wednesday. Maybe it was just today. It might have been. <laughs> um, he has kids. He so has kids. <laughs> so, have kids. Um, so we were um, driving down um, college, and we were passing the um, Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And they had escorts out. And, of course, you know what was going on there. And then they had protesters out there. And they're, the, the protesters are dressing in jackets similar to the escorts, make it very confusing. Mm-hmm. So we were coming to the light and slowing down, and the, one of my sons looks out there, and he says, they're, two, they're talking to each other, the, the two you know, opposing sides. And he's like, why are they doing that? You know, The escort should pretty much be knocking the other one down or whatever. Right. See where we stand. And you know, I was like, well, take a deep breath. I said, you know, conversation, just what you're mm-hmm. talking about, having that talk. I said, you know, being in you know, in a situation where you don't agree is opportunity to learn. And if, you know, I always say the first one to, you know, be quiet mm-hmm. is the winner. And I said, you know, you have an opportunity to find out that you probably agree with more than you disagree. But what happens is, and I think with kids and with adults especially, if you watch politics, is nobody shuts up. Mm-hmm. And time to listen, and kids follow that. And if you watch the YouTube videos, they watch, and everybody yes. wants to have a voice, but they don't want to have an ear. And and trying to understand, like even that issue, it's just like I've had kids who are like, "Well," and I'm like, "Well, think about it. If you were going down the street and you saw somebody murdering or beating on a small child, would you react?" And they're like, "Well, of course." I go, "If this is truly where they're believing from, this is where they're coming from, and we can meet them on that and have a conversation. We might not agree, but we can understand why they're coming from that direction." And I think even coming from that on any issue, including like sexual identity and orientation, it's like let's take a moment to try to understand where a person's coming from. We might not agree, but at least we can hear them. Right. I think it, it's exasperated too by the information and how we get information now. It, it is no longer a central, trustworthy, this is the news and people formulate their ideas. It is this news or this news and they, they are ideologies, not, not news. And, and so people feel completely justified in what they believe because that's the feed they follow. And, and, whether people agree with this or not, like our intelligence agencies do. Other countries who are tend to be our enemies realize this and they are playing that. That's why they were putting out feeds and like headlines and pictures to stoke those differences. Not necessarily like directly attack, but they knew where the difference are and they let they played it and they fanned those fires and it plays. And it worked. That is my goal, you guys. We have to learn how to communicate. We really do. Both sides don't have to agree. But need to be able to talk. And mm-hmm. most importantly, listen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, and, move from policy right. to, away from ideology and back to policy. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's where the face, well, the Facebook, like I'm 110 years old. <laughs> <the Facebook. laughs> the interweb. Um, that's where the, that's where Facebook falls in. And I'm guilty of this too. I mean, I post all kinds of political stuff, you know, and, um, you know, and, and people, of course, you know, I bait. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times I don't put up a comment. I just put up a story and then let it go. Um, and, and before people, I mean, it gets way off topic, but mm-hmm. it's interesting to watch because 
a fight will come over not because of um, there was a an article um, or an interview with seven women. They were all blonde and all wore black. I saw this interview. Yes, <laughs> and it was basically you know they voted for Trump and were do they in they're, they're were Christians as mm-hmm. well and where what they feel about today, especially after knowing about his affair with the um, the porn star mm-hmm. and you know all forgiving because of whatever. And, you know, it was just like they, they just both all kind of mimicked one another of mm-hmm. what they said and looked and whatever. So the conversation all went to Stepford Wives and this and that. And then people that agree, you know, because I have friends from both sides. Um, that was a fight about what they look like. Not so right. much of what they said or, you know, about their plastic surgery, but not about kind of the content of what it was, you know, and, and it was one of my conservative friends that kind of brought it back and said, hey, take a deep breath, people, you know, mm-hmm. we need to, to listen at this point and stop pointing fingers and making fun of people. And it was interesting. And, you know, and it was, and people think, thought it was safe probably on my Facebook because, you know, they know what. And, and I think we need to identify safe as, Disagreeing is safe. Yeah, right. And it's how we disagree. Yes. You can't be, you can't call somebody stupid. (laughs) Hey, hey you guys, let's put this on hold for a few minutes and take a quick music break. Coming up from the track Fifth Floor by Sleeping Bag off their album Wet. Soon the wall will come to you Soon the wall will fall through Soon the wall will come to me Soon the wall will come to thee Hey happening to me what's happening to You've been listening to Fifth Floor by Sleeping Bag. Uh, we we talked. Oh, go right ahead, Rachel. Over. Fight <laughs> it over. Shoot. No, okay. Hey, we, we talked a little bit on the break. You had some resources you wanted to put out. And let me preface it this by what you said earlier about 
the surrounding counties not always being as accepting. Share with us a little bit of that situation and some of the resources to help these people. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, and it, I mean, any community can be. It's not just outlying of Bloomington. I mean, it can happen in Monroe County, too. But um, I've had stories where kids are coming in and they're literally being told on their 18th birthday, the day of their 18th birthday, they are not leaving with anything from their house. They're not going to have the money. And they're literally going to be homeless and isolated. Um, there are, I've had kids who talk about family members who are literally saying, I just want to just like, just beat the crap out of you. Basically. I hope I can say yeah. that. <laughs> Beep. Um, and, uh, and just living with that rejection and that fear of what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How am I going to make it kind of a thing? Um, and I, I'm so happy sometimes when they do find their way to my office and uh I'm Are they finding their way to your office through parents at this point? Or? Sometimes. Uh-huh. Um I, probably the biggest compliment I ever get is when kids tell me that they got my information from one of their friends. Uh-huh. It's like when another kid will go, No, go talk to this guy, I take that as high praise. Yeah, that's high praise. <laughs> so uh and then they're like, I know you're okay because as I've almost I've kinda of passed the test a little bit and so it makes it a little bit easier, a little bit faster. Um, so I definitely, it's like, it's a subject I'm always trying to learn on. I don't feel like I'm like 100% the expert. I'm sure there are other people out there. Uh, some of the other resources I do know, there's a very good therapist in town. Her name's Caroline Hippler. Um, she's online at caroline at carolinehippler.com. Um, she was a student of mine. I supervised her through her, uh, her, uh, at postgrad, uh, supervisions. She's excellent. Uh, Michael Cooper, who works in my office also, um, and I can leave this information with you all so you can post it if need be. Um, he's also very good. His number is 317-446-0359. Nick Butcher also works in my office. Um, excellent in all these issues. Uh, his number, 812-219-6007. The LGBTQ plus uh, culture center on campus for IU, a thing that a lot of people don't realize, it's not just for IU students. The community is welcome there also. Um, and their phone number, and they're also online if you look them up, but their phone number is 812-855-4252. I realize I'm doing only phone numbers. I am old. <laughs> I am old. And, and, and th- this is all podcastable. So okay. if, if people, yeah. if this is too fast for people, look us up, wfhb.org, Blue Me Now. And I'll, I'll leave this information. Um, positive link in town. I know they do HIV testing. There's a lot of support that they do with that one. Um, PRISM in town is for uh, youth, uh, LGBTQ youth. Uh, Laura Alford is very involved in that one. She's very good. Uh, Michael also works very closely with them. Um, just asking different people I knew in town. The other thing I have, um, I just got this one earlier today, the Trevor Project. It's a leading national organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ young people. And their number is 866-488-7386. So that's a national like hotline. So that's always going to be monitored and like people would be there for support. Um, I would also encourage search online. There's tons of resources out there. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just curious because I think kids need to know this. If Is there a place, if you are kicked out of your home because of this, that you can go, that you will be safe and cared for? Um, right off on that day, I'm really not sure. When they come in that, if they're – if that's the day they're walking in for me, I'm saying, are there friends? Are there community okay. ser- other Is services? Is the youth shelter still um, an option? It, it's out there. I, I think for Monroe County, I think it's still free if you're a resident of Monroe County. I don't know. And that's also going to be contingent on if it's full or not. Right. Um, I'm not exactly 100% up on their policy, so that may have changed, but I would say that was worth looking at. Um, at that point, there are 18, so they are adults, so like just the shelters they can go to. Um, and I would hit like on campus and things like that. They would have resources, maybe some uh, like housing available or things along those lines. Um, Stepping stone? Um, I don't know if that's still up and running at this point, to be honest with you. They might be. Okay. I don't know. And even, unfortunately, though, a lot of times those are going to have a wait list. No, and sometimes also it's like that 18 is that magic number. There's a lot more services as far as kids who need a place to live as opposed to when you turn 18. Um, but, again, I would say that contacting, like, uh, PRISM, if you know people through that, they might have some of that information. So even if 
I don't have necessarily a lot of information, mm -hmm. but these places would have places where you can like hear some information. There's some things you can do. This is where there's some help and things along those lines. And even if it's just accessing the local community, and I, I would be stunned if the community would not rally around somebody in this kind of situation. Right. So if you were in a situation or somebody didn't find themselves in a situation with, you know, a youth coming out to them, um, what would you, you know, advice you would give them to kind of lead, you know, them into, a, you know, either obviously into some of these information, but just, you know, being an ear. Right. I, I, th I think initially when I work with kids, it's, I initially assess their comfort with themselves. Um, I've had kids who are very angry who they are. Um, and sometimes they can't even talk to me. I've, I've had kids who, who just write it and then they leave and then I read it later. Um, and it's sometimes it's heartbreaking the way I go, well, what's going on? What's happening? And I kind of have an idea because you can kind of tell. Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't want to put the words in their mouth also, also. So, but I, again, hopefully I can, the F word, it's trigger alert. Can I say the F word? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. Um, but not, not the major one, but like the reference for somebody being gay. The homosexual F word? Yes. Yeah, we still don't. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, FCC. <laughs> right. And I get that one. But the kid was, he basically yelled to me, I'm, and then he left. And Aww. he he eventually, a couple of weeks later, he came back. He was really sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry. I'm like, why are you so angry? He's like, well, no one likes this. And I'm like, I have no problem with this. Why do you not like this? Mm -hmm. And that's the first step we worked through. And then once we got through that one, he was much happier. He was much able to do things. And we were really working with how he was going to let other people in his life start to know. Right. And but so did like – Kid like that, does he, he comes to you because the parents are saying he's angry. He's angry. He's and depressed. He's not doing yeah. well in school, and mm -hmm. we don't know what's wrong. Yeah, and so sometimes it's that. Some it's any not number parents to freak out. That they yeah, because like, oh my god, <laughs> my finger, my phone's going to be ringing right gay. now. <laughs> it's like also my phone is going to be but, very which busy. is okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and so yeah. then it's like, but again, a lot of self acceptance first, and a lot of education in that it's not a choice; it's just who you are kind of a thing and and that it's okay and then once they kind of get there the reality of the situation we start looking what is your family going to be like how do you they're going to kind of know who's mm -hmm. going to have a harder time like my parents are going to be okay grandma and grandpa right so it's just like are you going to be okay with thanksgiving as the years go by that you're going to pretend not to be and they're like well and i'm like something you're gonna have to think about honestly talking to them about yes they can still have children Right. A lot of them think, "Why well, I, I do want to have kids. I'm like, you can have kids. Right. There's no problem. You can do this. And so just the options that are out there for them. And if they do need support, um, if I'm not sure, I will consult people I'm who I know who are better at this. Or if I need to, I can refer on. Sure. Well, this is awesome. Uh, you know, to have – There's, a, I mean, again, uh, you know, I'm hoping people from the other side of maybe our county – are hearing this. I think, you know, we're lucky. And again, I, I keep tooting our horn here for Bloomington that the resources are, are so mm -hmm. thick. I mean, they're, they're out there. You just got to pick up the phone or ask the right person. You don't have to ask that many people. But the surrounding counties, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, maybe not have the resources to be able to come on over here right. um, and, and to find help and, and be able to, um, you know, access something out there because there's nothing more sad than seeing a kid in, you know, despair yes. with nowhere to turn. At that. And I guess uh, I have one quick question before we sign off. Um, the idea that Bloomington Re is sort of a uh, hub for resources and a great place for people to sort of learn more and be in a safe, accepting community is really key to us and also here at WFHB. And sort of do you think that there's any sort of um, ideal things that – we here at Blooming Out can do to sort of make things more welcoming, get get the conversation started as we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. um, things that we can do to sort of not only uh, be good representatives of the LGBTQ community, but also sort of work more with uh, Bloomington and Southern Indiana at large. Um, I would probably say if you can get – if parents are okay, but kids in here to talk, I think they all give you some insight that probably no one else has. 
Um, also, if there is people who are willing to talk and discuss and not just do the ideology, but the opposing point of view and why they are coming from that perspective, understanding of the different points of view is the way that this is going to move forward. Awesome. And it looks like we're out of time, folks. But before we go, let's take a few moments to thank our fantastic guest, Tim Donovan. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you you so much for being here. And Uh I I appreciate the invite. It was wonderful. It went faster than I thought it would. Yeah, (laughs) it does. (laughs) Additionally, thank you to all of our listeners and volunteers who make Blooming Out possible. Blooming Out is produced by Alex Ashkin. Our executive producer is WFHB's news director, Wes Martin. Jesse Grubb is our engineer for Blooming Out and WFHB. I'm Frankie Presslaff. I'm Alex Ashkin. And I'm Rachel Jones. Tune in next week for a brand new Blooming Out every Thursday from 6 to 7 on WFHB volunteer-powered community radio. Mm -hmm.